You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a weekly podcast that explores the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic, hosted by two psychiatrists, Steve Allen and Rob Seltzer. Shrink the Virus is brought to you by Melbourne independent community media organisation Triple R. Check out the Shrink the Virus podcast page on the Triple R website and on Facebook. And don't forget, you can financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber at any time. More details at rrr.org.au. Hi and welcome to Shrink the Virus with me, Rob Seltzer, and my very good friend... Steve Allen. That's him there. Stephen, what's coming up on our show today? Well, we've got uh, oh one of my old friends. I don't know if you've met her before, but no. she's a great friend of mine, Social mm. Professor Kate Stern. She's a yep. fertility specialist, gynecologist, and reproductive endocrinologist. She's going to tell us all about COVID, pregnancy, being a mum, that sort of stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. Hey, man, um, we've had some messages, and so we should answer them. I know, especially because we we almost pleadingly said, please write us messages. Please. And these ones have come in a couple of weeks ago, but for various complex reasons, I'm only just getting to read them out now. The first one's from someone called Jackie. She says, I feel that my mental health has improved after weeks of social distancing. Is that just because I have a job and a family at home? Clearly, a lot of people are suffering in Australia. Is there only a small number who've benefited from enforced um, reflection? Is this an insensitive question or is there some merit in focusing on the mental health improvements? What are your thoughts? It is so much not an insensitive question. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. We are so blessed, my family. We've got a regular income. We've got uh, kids who are teenagers, so they don't need to be uh, effectively um, looked after the whole day like little kids uh, who who are learning via distance learning and so forth. We don't know anybody that's had COVID or who is, who is sick from it. So, you know, for this, this last sort of six weeks for me has been, it's kind of been a really nice time. It's my kind of guilty secret that I've enjoyed this time. And I'm actually going back. I'm not sure if, if I'm really looking forward to it. It's funny you should use the term guilty secret because, you know, I think the theme that's coming through Jackie's message is that concept of survivor guilt. You know, so Australia's Mm -hmm. had a really good run um, and our real problem has been people who have lost their jobs and lost their income and are facing social problems. And also, you know, maybe things like um, family violence has increased and we're worried about the mental health. But there's a whole lot of people who have found this whole period of reflection better. And that's one of the real themes that's come out in the last couple of months. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I should say, especially as we're mm. starting to open up a bit, people saying, wow, I don't know if I want to. There's a whole lot of you know, silver linings to this that I didn't anticipate it, notwithstanding the point Jackie makes that, of course, it's not been everyone's experience, yeah. but it's been a real mi- mixed bag. My, my bread baking has been absolutely out of this world. Are we going to ever have a podcast? I was was waiting for the expression on your face to see. Oh, no, he's talking about bread again. again. Sourdough. No bread bread for for you, Stephen, when you come around. I just want to give you a comment now from a bloke called George. This is a ripper because he actually emailed in saying that uh, he'd heard us on radiotherapy for many years and it wasn't until he was listening to the podcast and heard us joking about our speech night back at school years ago singing Havana Gilla that we were actually... Melbourne High Boys and he was saying he's a Melbourne High Boy too and he said g'day and honour the work which of course was our old school motto. Honour the work let our motto remind us yep um, I remember singing that was it every we sang it every assembly for four years oh, and, yes. uh, and, and I, I, no no I, lo- I love that song in fact I, I, no, I really do because I was at a I was at dinner a couple of years ago with my in-laws and they had 
a um, a friend of theirs over, and I th- he must be 40, 50 years older than me. I, no, no, he couldn't be 50 years older. 35 years older than me. And um, when he found out I went to Melbourne High, we both started singing the school anthem together, and we, we, we missed it up. It was a, it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> You know, because I purposely use it as a shitting tactic to annoy my son. Whenever we drive down the freeway, I break out into honour the work, let our motto remind us. Because um, I think it's an abysmal song. And uh, it just, and I tell you, it works every time. He gets the shits. Let me tell you our final uh, message yeah. comes from an actually well known personality, comedian, commentator, um, Nellie Thomas. She says, Question for the potty. What is the evidence on air travel? It seems yeah. intuitively risky, but intuition can be wrong. When planes open back up, will you get on and sit cheek by jowl? Roberto. That's a really good question, Stephen. And I reckon, um, like all things I'm going to do with uh, the pandemic, is I'm just going to listen to experts. I'm going to wait till the chief medical officer says, yep, go on planes and you might have to use masks or you might have to social distance or whatever. That's how I'm going to make the decision. I'm not going to go with intuition or what everybody else around me is saying. I listen to experts. I am with you. I, look, I, th- and I think you're 100% spot on. And uh, part of the reason, too, is this is actually a complex one. I've tried looking it up a few times, um, you know, the issues, the pros and cons of planes and all that sort of stuff. And I've read about how they've improved their air filtration dramatically in recent decades. And they have all these standards and they can filter things out. Um, but we're all aware that people often get sick on planes. You know, people say they catch coughs and colds and stuff, even pre-COVID, obviously. And I've always wondered whether that's just because they're run down. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're either prepare, preparing for holidays, so they've been super busy getting prepared and getting work wound up, or they've gone on holidays, drunk too much, had a few too many hangovers. So I'm never quite sure. But I think you're quite right. But, you know, my gut feeling, too, is that because I want to get on planes pretty quick because I've got yep. lots of good reasons to travel, is I probably will play it safe. <laughs> And I probably, even if the experts don't say wear a mask, I suspect I'll be taking masks with me Mm. and um, I'll be prepared. And if I get on the plane and I think there's people around me coughing and spluttering and all that, I'm whacking a mask on ASAP regardless of what, you know. I I could see you with your carry-on bag and having a whole lot of PPE in there and just bringing out the gloves, (laughs) the gown, the mask. (laughs) And I might walk around with my hands in the air like a surgeon. I'll say, part part way, please. Doctor coming through. Doctor coming through. Hey, uh, we better uh, get ready for um, for Kate. She will be joining us yep. any second. So uh, we'll go to our little break music and then we'll have Kate. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Joining us is Associate Professor Kate Stern. She's a fertility specialist, gynecologist and reproductive endocrinologist. That's a lot of very big words I just said there. She completed university in Melbourne and trained in obstetrics and gynecology at the Women's Hospital and the Mercy Hospital with further work and experience in this field during two years in the United Kingdom. She is also the clinical director and head of clinical research at Melbourne IVF. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to um, see you, Kate. How much did Steve have to twist your arm? <laughs> how much did Steve have to twist your arm to come onto this podcast? Well, you know, last time he asked me to come onto the radio was with Peter Dotty, and uh, I was just like, wow. you know, starstruck. I just sat there listening to him, really. It was pretty amazing. And this time I've only got Rob. It's so disappointing. <laughs> it's, it's so disappointing. You're only going up. Peter Dotty, Rob. <laughs> hey, Kate, could I, ask, could I ask you a favour? Would you mind holding your mic a little bit closer to your uh, mouth? Because that'll help me, because I do the editing. Is that a bit better? Oh, that's fantastic. Yep. 
Rob's our technical guy. Yeah, Good. Very, very just, I did bring my proper headphones, but I had forgotten the connection, so they didn't work. So and we should let listeners know that you're currently sitting up in bed being interviewed. <laughs> are you in Melbourne or are you uh, somewhere else? I'm somewhere else where it's sunny and beautiful autumn leaves and makes me happy. Oh. Is it super windy like where I are? Because I'm on the Mornington Peninsula and I'm guessing you are too. Yeah, yeah, it is super windy, but it's just, aren't we lucky to be able to just look out over some green? Oh, so nice down here. It's so nice. Hey, why don't I start the ball rolling? Um, let's start with the most obvious question of all. What's been the impact of COVID on your life so far? Oh, that's a biggie. So I guess uh, personally or professionally? I reckon personally, but I want it to flow into professionally, both <laughs> in other words. Yeah, so I think it's been a, it's been an interesting time for all of us. And can we just say that we're not going to use the word unprecedented on this show today? That'll be so, unprecedented for us not to use the word unprecedented. <laughs> no, but we ban it too. We're over it. We're over unprecedented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So it's been an interesting time. It's actually been a bit less frenetic, hasn't it? Because really in every interaction, personal and professional, you've had less physical contact with people and perhaps a little bit more time to reflect and try and actually look at what's important and what's not important. And... Um, one of the things I've really noticed both at work and at home and just around the place is there is an increased sense of kindness. And I don't know if you guys have seen that too. There's a little bit more caring for other people, a little bit more kindness, a bit more collegiality, sense of community. I don't know if you tolerance. guys have found that. I reckon a lot more tolerance, especially early on. People yeah. tolerating change, politicians tolerating each other, sitting in the same room, um, people tolerating uncertainty. I thought that was great. Can I just highlight yeah, that, Kate? Yeah, yeah. So I was just going to say, I was, I was in a lift today at uh, Ikea and it said one person only. I got in the lift and I was the only person. And then this huge guy who was like, you know, 17 foot tall comes up to the lift and I said, sorry, there can only be one person in the lift at a time thinking this guy's just, you know, he goes, oh, sure, mate, of course. And he steps back and you know, the doors <laughs> close. And yeah, there has been this sort of probably because you spoke in that high voice. So, mate, can, only one person in the lift. And he thought, oh, my God, I'm not getting you with this guy. He's got the weirdest voice ever. <laughs> back to you, Kate. Yeah, so I think that that's been, that's been a really interesting thing. I wonder if in our personal and our professional lives, and in our whole community, there's this sort of, we've seen what is happening in other places. And it is so profound that uh, we're all feeling a little bit lucky and a bit relieved. And we're feeling that as a community, we've had something to do with this being okay. Actually, it might be completely extrinsic factors that have made us so lucky. But I just feel like there is this sort of sense of community that we've managed to beat this so far. Yeah, it is great. But you're from a professional point of view, yeah. you're you're in one of the you're essentially a fertility specialist primarily, and your industry was largely shut down at the when at initial at the start of the whole thing, wasn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. There was just well, like in every aspect of healthcare, there was this sort of initial confusion about what's happening, what's going, what are we going to do, what are the risks, and it took everyone in, in in the public health system, I think a couple of weeks to sort of work out what genuine risks, what were genuine risks and what weren't. And uh, really not because of the risk to uh, being pregnant, but because of the risk of not having enough resources, yeah. IVF and fertility treatment was shut down, except, and we were grateful for this, 
for cancer patients, mm. which is, as you know, my special interest, um, Steve, and one of yours, for cancer patients who needed to have fertility treatment to preserve their fertility for the future, they were allowed to continue. But everybody else, fertility had to stop. Do you reckon there was kind of thinking amongst people who were pregnant, uh, perhaps avoiding going to hospitals or avoiding going to clinics for fear of COVID? Did that happen at all? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And there's been a lot written about this, that um, people were fearful of going to hospital. And and the question was, should we be fearful? What are the risks of actually getting pregnant, both spontaneously or, you know, if you need assistance? There There was significant concern about that. And I guess we've been able to look at the data from China and America and Europe to at least be able to give us a bit more sort of factual information about the risks. And what are they? Yeah, what are they? Yeah. Well, I think what's really good to see is that there is there appears to be no increased risk of complications in pregnancy like miscarriage or uh, later miscarriage or problems with babies being born smaller than normal from the infection. So in people who in women who are positive there is no increased risk of complications in pregnancy. Let me just... Most let me just, importantly... Sorry, yeah, you go on. I was just going to underline, when you say, so women who are positives, meaning women who have had COVID haven't had increased r- rates of problems. Yes, and so yeah. therefore, you know, at the start of this, when we weren't sure how many people were going to become affected by COVID, should people... The big question was, should women stop trying to get pregnant? Mm-hmm. And there was clear evidence that there was no need for that. So if you are positive if you do get the illness you don't have a higher risk of having a major complication to your baby and importantly particular in particular given other recent infections there was no in, there doesn't appear to be an increased risk of abnormalities in your baby what we call teratogenic effects so that if you get the baby while you if you get the illness while your baby's organs are developing there's no increased risk of the baby having major abnormalities so that's been very reassuring but you're right Rob people have been more scared to come to hospital and i guess that's where we've seen the emergence of telehealth we're saying don't stay away completely if you have concerns you need to be able to communicate with your healthcare team Mm. and let's see what we can do remotely but don't just go and isolate yourself Mm. in fact funnily enough lots of our patients say coming to see us is their big trip for the day (laughs) or the week yeah 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 um what about new mums now during the pandemic Are there any particular issues which new mums have to be aware of? Well, I guess it depends if you're positive, already positive. And in Australia, well, the evidence from around the world is that there's no risk. There doesn't appear to be a risk of COVID being transmitted in breast milk. So so we've had very few positive cases in Australia, but around Mm. the world, the evidence is if you do carry the virus, it's fine to breastfeed. If you are pregnant or you're having your baby or just had your baby, there are no special precautions to reduce the risk of getting COVID. Your risk of getting COVID is the same mm. whether you're pregnant or not. Right. And what about, this one's going backwards a little bit then. What about, and you probably won't, it's probably too early to say, but what about um, rate effect on reproduction rates? Mm. Do we know anything about that? Well, Interestingly, we don't. We don't know, but there are several studies looking at whether there has. So, so we don't have evidence, but there are several studies looking at this. Is there an increase in spontaneous fertility during this time? And there are two studies in Australia at the moment looking at this. But um, 
I guess it's too quick to, you know, it's been such a short time to know. Um, but there is, what's interesting is that there is this study, this very weird study published, I think, last week, that showed that there is um, increased uh, sex at home uh, and, however, and, and decre decreased use of contraception. But in parallel with that, and this is the weird thing, decreased desire to have a baby. So maybe people, are, they're having more sex and actually the fourth point was that they weren't actually enjoying it as much. So they were having more sex but not enjoying it as much but not trying to make a baby but also not using contraception. So I don't know whether that's just that you've had this really, you know, poorly designed study or whether it's just a, 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 some sort of weird thing associated with the statistics. But how weird is that? Yeah, it's one of those ones that where you look at it and you, you intu intuitively you say, well, it doesn't make sense. But then you start to wonder whether there's some biological drive. So even though people aren't enjoying it and whatnot, <laughs> whether there is some just biological drive in a time of, you know, human stress. Well, bored. Yeah, you know, like one of those weird things, you know, like more males are born during uh, whatever it is <laughs> during a war or, uh, you know, I was thinking during a war and during, you know, periods of this, that, you know, I mean, you know, these strange things where when people look into it, there's, you know, um, unusual biological imperatives that are driving different behaviours in humans. <laughs> Who knows? Well, it will be interesting to look at, won't it? There have been a few studies looking at hormones, reproductive hormones, uh, mainly in China and one in the States and they haven't shown any difference. But as you guys know, just testing your base hormones, that just misses all the mm. nuance of mm. what's going on inside. Mm. And can I just ask another thing? You said, use the term spontaneous fertility. fertility. Is that, and, I, and obviously we're not talking about immaculate conception like the baby <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> By spontaneous, you mean people getting pregnant without actually pl what, planning? What does it mean? Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, for people like me, it is always surprising, but there are people who get pregnant on their own without any help from us. So um, we like <laughs> how to dare they? Yeah, how dare they? But um, this study that's been conducted with it through Adelaide and Melbourne is actually looking at the um, pregnancy rates at a time when IVF units were shut. So we'll be able to see whether there was an increased risk compared to the same time, increased chance compared to the same time last year or years before. So before my, we, oh, sorry, my go, prediction go, is going to be yeah. that there will be a baby boom that people are bored, they're using less protection, as you've said. There's some weirdness in the associations that, that uh, you know, those four things that you brought up, I can't quite understand that. But I reckon, you know, people, wasn't there a famous, I mean, you'd, oh, I've always wanted to ask an obstetrician this, wasn't there a famous study done in the States or New York or somewhere where the TV went out for like a week? <laughs> yeah. And there was this baby boom nine months later. Didn't that happen? <laughs> I, personally, I haven't heard of that, but you can you can quite understand that. That's quite good, isn't it? That's sort of like, you know, making your fun at home with yeah. whatever you can. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's good. But I guess the serious side about being bored and at home with lots of people, of course, is the, the um, destruction in some relationships mm. over this time as well. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's and of course we've been we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast and various other places as well the, the concern everyone's had about increasing rates of domestic violence and the hmm. and the importance of yeah. uh, efforts around that. The government's put some extra money in, and we've you know been reminding people regularly that if they're having problems to contact you know the big organisations. I think First Steps, I think, is the one we always recommend people contact. I should look that up because haven't looked it well, up for a couple of weeks. There are some interesting. Um 
some interesting creative ways, aren't there? I, I read somewhere that um, some of the supermarkets are going to have like sort of response areas where you can go and press a button and get some sort of linkage to assistance because mm. if you're at home with a partner in a destructive relationship where you're at risk, it's very hard to um, ask for help, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and little apps that are um, going to be available. Yeah, yeah. Now, we, we, in fact, you're such a great guest because you've covered so many areas that we're going to talk about. You know, Steve and I have this production meeting for half an hour before we do our podcast, and we go through all the really interesting areas, and you've answered so many of them. But I guess, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered about obstetrics and gynecology, because as you know, um, doctors specialize very quickly after they graduate, and, uh, you know, they become quite fractionated. And so I guess the question that I've always had in my mind is, you know, since since I finished <laughs> medical school like 30 years ago, what's changed? What's changed in the last 30 years of, of obstetrics and gynecology? Oh, that's a really good question, Rob. Um, I think a, a lot has changed. I think that there's been a really big change in our approach to dealing with patients. I mean, you guys must see that in what you do as well, in that it's much more of a... Um, we have a more equal interactive relationship with our patients. Mm. I think that's really, really important. And I, it, it's not the doctor telling the patient what to do. It's, it's more of a sort of a, a team approach to solving problems. And I have really noticed that since I was a junior doctor. And um, I think that's been, that, that, that transcends different specialties. But I think particularly in obstetrics and gynecology, there's been an improved um, understanding that particularly with pregnancy and I have to say I'm not an obstetrician anymore I don't deliver babies I help people get pregnant and then pass them on but we've got more acceptance that pregnancy is a natural and safe state to be in Mm -hmm. and that we should treat it as a normal situation and really um, not over medicalize it Mm -hmm. but on the other hand make sure we've got all the backups then when things go wrong because things can go wrong really quickly let's make more effort to keep it as normal as possible but let's really have everything ready if if the switch needs to be flicked Mm. to to Mm. assistance i think that's been a really big thing that i've seen in obstetrics and gynecology and i guess in my area in reproductive medicine it's just amazing what's happened that's why i love what i do you know the advances in science and cell biology and since I even started in fertility medicine, pregnancy rates have gone from about 7.5%. When I started, there was a 7.5% chance that you would get pregnant when we put an embryo in. And now it's between, it can be up to 45 or even higher percent. Wow. So that's hmm. over, you know, 20 years, we've had an amazing increase in our ability um, hmm. to help patients get pregnant. I've been fascinated by the whole fertility industry because a lot of it, see, I don't know if this is true, you can correct me, but <laughs> it seems to me a lot of it started in Australia through Monash IVF. And what was the famous professor's name? I've got a mental blank. You know him. Carl Wood. And yes, Carl Wood. Carl Wood and, and John Leeton. And- yeah, and some of the first IVF in the world was in Australia. And then it seems since that time the industry's gone through this incredible, firstly, a scientific revolution, as you say, with in, in, in amazing results. But also, and I'm really interested in your 
opinion on this. In many ways, it seems to have commercialised a lot too. Yeah. And we are now see ads in women's magazines or men's magazines or anything, but particularly that remind me of the old Jeffrey Edelston days. I see <laughs> fertility specialists next to grand pianos with chandeliers. Yep. And on, part of me says that's reaching out to the public and the way the public want to be reached out and it's fair enough. Another part of me is old-fashioned, you know, medico says, oh, I don't like that degree of advertising. What, what's your take on all of that? Oh, that's a, such a great question. So just to go back to the origins, one of the things that was really evident at the start, Australia was a very big player in IVF. We had the third IVF baby in the world. And what's interesting is that we had collaboration. We had collaboration with the team from Monash with the Royal Women's Hospital. And these guys all worked together to help get help women get pregnant. It was really, they were heady days. And we had this amazing collaboration. And I mention that because now we don't, you know, we really don't have that terribly much. And that was, you know, we need to go back and look at that in a scientific way about the collaboration. So now you're right, we have had corporatization and commercialization. But I guess one of the things is we've... One of the really great things about these changes is that IVF is now affordable for lots and lots of people. It is no longer just people that have lots of money that are able to have IVF. Mm. I have to say that at the Royal Women's, having worked at the Royal Women's for the last 30-odd years, on and off, we have always had a program at the Royal Women's. It's not quite public where people, where people can access fertility treatment without having lots of money. Um, so it's a public hospital program. But... Apart from that program, many years ago, there were no other resources, there were no other services, whereas with the commercialisation, we now have, you know, very competitive programs available women. And I think that that's been really great. But what we still need is the high science. And in a, you know, in a, it's like sort of Jetstar or Tiger and Qantas, we still need to have the advancements in science. And to do that, you need to have these sort of premium models where you can have university ties and researchers and yep. scientists and, and and that's what's so amazing about the world that we're in it is available for anyone now which is great but we need to keep moving forward with high science it's mm, a really good point can i hit you with my other big observation and because this one i'm not quite so sure about well i'm equally unsure i should say when i was a junior doctor nearly all obstetricians were men and quite frankly, some of them were, some of the professors in particular were misogynistic misanthropists. They just seemed to hate everyone. They definitely were dismissive and rude about the women. You know, some of the behaviours we saw as medical students of the professors back then, even, you know, this 30 years ago, we were shocked. So, and my impression is that the industry has become very much now a, a, a woman-dominated industry. And I wonder, and I'm not in the industry anymore, obviously, I'm not a junior doctor anymore, I don't see it. I wonder whether you, is, is that true? Is, has it turned into a, um, an industry that's dominated by women? And what do you think the effects have been if that is true? Yeah, well, as you know, in, in reference to what I said before about how now the the relationship between the doctor and the patient is very, very, very different and it's much more of a partnership. Now, that is in parallel with more women in the profession relatively. Mm. I'm not drawing any uh, <laughs> conclusions from those two facts, but uh, I think we, have a, we do have a female-dominated profession now and that is fantastic. But, you know, you guys, mm. we know that we really shouldn't be prejudiced 
against our um, healthcare practitioners because of their gender. It's their approach. And there are, you know, there are most doctors now behave in a much better way that we don't have that sort of autocracy and that sort of hierarchical system. I think that's the same across all areas of medicine. I would imagine you guys would have that too. Oh, very much so, very much so. I, I think that... Uh, yeah, on that, I think it is true. So I, I'm, you know, I'm still though a little bit angry over some of the behaviours I witnessed when I was a medical student. Probably yeah. pick it in my voice. And of course, you're quite right. It wasn't just, um, you know, senior male obstetricians. Um, the male obstetricians I know these days aren't anything like that. I think the whole industry's changed. But yeah. I certainly think it's benefited from. I, I'm convinced it's benefited from it moving to a more female-dominated um, industry. Um, but it, you are right. Medicine's moved in general, and some areas are probably still a little bit slow on that path. Sorry, Rob, I think I interrupted you. No, 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 not at all. Um, Kate, we ask uh, all our guests this question. Take a deep breath. Um, <laughs> it's not that scary. I'm holding no, it not, at the moment. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that scary. Um, what are you doing better now as compared to six months ago? You mean in view of COVID or just yeah, in, in view yeah. of COVID? So, yeah, I think that we've learned that we can still have good, effective and um, nuanced communication with our patients, not necessarily sitting a foot away from each other, mm -hmm. especially with what I, do, what I do. It's a very emotional area and I'm just a bit of a sucker and I get sucked in and get all <laughs> emotional with it as well. That's so great to hear, actually. That's wonderful, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I ask the patients. Um but I think that we are learning to communicate more effectively using other measures, and I find Zoom really good. Uh, so I think that that's taught us that we don't have to be sitting a foot away to be able to still have a nuance and, um, and comprehensive discussion. So I think we're doing that better. Also, we've looked at how we do everything and what's important. You know, you sometimes need a complete disruption, if not a disintegration, to actually examine things. You know, we go along, we're pretty complacent and, you know, I'm sure it's the same in what you guys do, but I, I think this has given us a, some sort of disruption, if not disintegration, to better look at every step of what we do and how we can do it better. So I think that we're learning to communicate in lots of different ways with our patients. I think we're getting rid of crap that we've been doing for ages mm -hmm. that may not be important for our patients. And, um, you know, it's, scary to say and i feel guilty saying it but there has been quite a lot of good that's come out of it but on the other hand there's just you know we just have to really not dwell on the terrible things that have happened mm -hmm. to so how lucky mm -hmm. we are compared to so many other people true hey to finish up i just want to remind you of something because it's only i've only just remembered it this second you know the last time we ran into each other <laughs> was on the rooftop of a bar in um in Carlton, Carlton at Christmas this just passed and we it were was. chatting we ran into each other at the bar and we were chatting and just the comment my how things have changed since then you know oh yeah how's that so that was less than <laughs> that was five months ago you were I think your Christmas party we were having Christmas drinks and we were chatting yeah. at the bar I just remembered when you were talking oh my goodness five go months back? ago are what's you, changed are you guys missing that are you guys missing that sort of stuff well, i can't can I... wait to have a, a beer out of out of a tap rather than out of a damn bottle <laughs> the number of people that say yes steve the last time we met was at a bar <laughs> in carlton <laughs> i hate to break the news kate you're not the first but... <laughs> i know hey it's great to have you on the show thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for having me it's been fun love talking to you thanks kate
hope you enjoyed the show that uh, shrink the virus for today saturday the 30th of may at uh, 5 p.m don't forget to tell your friends and family members neighbors anybody you run into really to subscribe to the show we've got all the social media facebook instagram twitter do we have something else Stephen? Uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, we're, of course, on the 3RRR website, rrr.org.au. There's a page on Shrink the Virus. Most importantly. Um, and don't forget to tune in to what? What should people not forget to tune into? They should not forget to tune into Radiotherapy on 3RRR on Sunday mornings. That's our regular program. And we should also tell everyone to do that uh, Triple R has produced this show, of course, and the great people at Triple R who we always like to thank are Beck, Mia, Grace, Elizabeth and Michael for helping us get this off the ground and all the technical side and everything else. And thanks to Associate Professor Kate Stone for talking to us today. Thanks, Kate, and thanks everyone for listening. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.